0: if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Quite often in a a film or a play or something that's on television or um, even sometimes as you read it, although quite often in a book it's at the beginning of the the play or the, the book you're reading, there's thanks expressed. And I want to start our thoughts this morning by expressing thanks to well, to all those who meet at various times, both during the week, quietly here in the church, and to the fellowship groups, particularly, I want this morning, and I did say I would do this on Friday, I, I do want to thank those who meet in the faith and Friday group and gather at the manse once a fortnight on a Friday morning. One of the new fellowship groups that started actually as a result of COVID and, and, and the restrictions of that, because we've been looking at Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And, and, and I'm sure it'll be Graham and, and Ian will be able to relate to this. Sometimes as a minister, you feel you should deal with a theme, with a theme or something else. And then you think, well, that sounds very good. And then, and then you think, well, how on earth are you going to get a handle on the sub- subject? And how are you going to do it and, 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 and present it in a way which for an ordinary group of people like ourselves is, is accessible this hour on a Sunday morning? And I have to confess, I was thinking, wow, and I'd seen some stuff and I was looking at it. And I don't know, I just, so I have to give credit to Volton Friday morning, who in our discussions, and in our deliberations and our sharing together, and sharing together particularly the stories of God within our lives and, and how that impacts on, uh, as we read his word. So, we're looking this morning at these verses, these first verses in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, because the theme of the church, the church is one that where there's tomes being written, some very weighty tomes, you know, large manuscripts of words, I, I, and, and how do you begin to get handled? Because of course, and I think I could say this certainly to the folks sitting here, most of us anyway, that when we talk about the church, we know, although initially we think of the building here, we know of course that the church isn't this building or any building with a description of being a church outside it. We do know, or at least we've heard often enough, that the church is the body of Christ. And Paul, indeed, in this first chapter of Ephesians, refers to that, and we'll make mention of that in a few minutes. We know that, and yet so often, understandably so, when we think of the church, we do think what we think of the folks around about us. We think of the layout of a particular service we mentioned, we'd mentioned last Sunday, of of the type of worship, the things we sing, the kind of people up front, um, you know, the version of the Bible we use, the whole host of things. And we think of all these things if somebody asked us about the church. But I do pray and do hope this morning that as we look at these opening verses in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, we'll have a fresh picture of just the wonder of what the church is is so that next Sunday when we look at what that means in terms of responsibilities in terms of our engagement and everything else we do so not because the minister or anybody else is hectoring somebody from the pulpit as to what you should do and shouldn't do and be like or not be like and all the rest of it but we do so in the light of just thinking well that's amazing and therefore that stirs our hearts and encourages and invites a response So, let's read together these first 14 verses from Ephesians chapter 1. The first 14 verses from Paul's letter to the Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship, and this is the word of God. Thanks be to him. It is the word of God, but even as you read it, it's not perhaps the easiest to follow. The language is quite dense. I don't mean that Paul was thick, but the words he uses and the concepts he uses aren't at first reading easily accessible. A bit like the church, often certainly to people outside the life of a congregation, it's a bit of a mystery and really seems to be far removed from daily life in the 21st century. Indeed, I'm sure we know, and sometimes maybe we even have family members who will say this too. So, people we know will say, we don't give us anything about Christianity because, and what they'll quote is not some great philosophical or theological objection to the existence of God or to the Christ event in history, which can't be debated because it did take place And if you know MD who thinks it is a lot of nonsense, just you refer them to me, or to Ian, or to Graham, or to anybody else, and we'll soon put them right. Um, but nonetheless, um, it's, you know, the, the, it's not that, it's the church. The church, perhaps, that they used to go to, or their parents went, or their grandparents went. And sometimes they'll refer to things that happened in the church, a fallout, a dispute. I was speaking to somebody recently elderly members of our own congregation, not able to get out now. And they were talking about members of their own family, their grandchildren, how they've drifted away from the church, despite the fact they were brought up in a very vibrant and lively church. But the grandparents certainly were sharing with me that they think one of the reasons why they've drifted away is because they heard things being said about their dad, who was the minister of this very large congregation, and and, and the way that he was treated and dealt with in this large congregation really put them off the church. And therefore put them off christianity can i commend you one of the reasons our two sons are in the lord and in the life of the church is because of the love and the care and the faithfulness that as a congregation you showed our family over the years so commend you for that i'm certainly not speaking about this congregation but in a church where in many other ways it would appear to be very lively a lot of young people um, and just very different many ways what place you would think that people would surely be engaged with nonetheless when they think about christianity they. If that's how Christians behave, if that's how the church acts. Well. When we come to these verses and Paul's writing here to Christians, gathered together, we have made reference to this before when we look to the first chapter in Thessalonians and the concept of the church, the ecclesia of God, those who are called out. Paul here talks and describes them as God's holy people, the faithful in Christ Jesus. The church is made of men and women and young people who know Jesus and live in a relationship with Jesus, and that's the bedrock for our understanding of the church. It's therefore, and if you want, if you have the Bible open, if you look at verse 22 of this first chapter, Paul talks about God placing all things under the feet of Christ, appointing him to be head over everything for the church. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Here we have these words that describe what is the church? It's the people of God. The people of God directly related and connected, and Karen very helpfully was telling us of and reminding us of that this morning, directly related to Jesus. We are the faithful in Christ Jesus, God's holy people, not in Ephesus, but in Uddingston. And along with other faithful holy people in Uddingston, in other churches, and other buildings, and other congregations within Uddingston, we make up Part of the body of Jesus in this place. Jesus doesn't walk up and down the main street of He doesn't go into Tesco or the butchers or the fruit shop. He's not at the gates of Edge Primary or walks through the doors of Arlington Grammar. He doesn't go into the office. Are the place where you work or dwell and during the week for your employment. But as the body of Jesus, we are his representatives, connected through the Holy Spirit with him, who is, Paul tells us, the head over everything. And before we go any further, it's good to be reminded of that. That's our calling. That's what we are. God's holy people in Erdingston, the faithful in Christ Jesus. But Paul, of course, was writing to Christians who were living in a very unholy kind of place and in a community, in a setting, and we've, again, we've spoken about that in the past. we looked at other of these letters where being faithful to Christ Jesus was a very challenging thing. Ephesus, and some of us have visited that city before in our tours in Asia Minor. We've gone in, you know, cruises or tours of of turkey or whatever and we visited that city as i did a number of years ago a massive city a, a well-developed city of the empire but the christians there were a small minority indeed the book of acts tells us that there were a persecuted minority it was born out of persecution and a reaction against god's work within that city a good reminder That for the vast majority of the people of God today, in our world, those who are faithful to Christ Jesus, there is a cost, there is a challenge, there is a consequence of being faithful to Christ Jesus. It's never been the case, even within our own country, that everyone went to church, that everyone believed, that everyone accepted the tenets of the Christian faith. In days past, more did. But it was never the case that everybody did and in our society today to be faithful to jesus to be one of those who are called out to be distinctively different for god and that's what it means in a sense to be a holy people somebody who's set apart to be distinctively different in our values and our morals and how we behave and how we relate to things how we understand things all the things again that karen helpfully referred us to earlier on that is challenging to be different On the whole, most of us don't like to stand out from the crowd and be different. And yet, to be God's holy people, to be the faithful in Christ, means just that. But writing to these Christians, he wants to encourage them. Yes, there's hassles. Yes, there's challenges. Yes, there's problems within families within their workplace, within their community, as people react negatively to the fact that they're a Christian, they're a believer, they believe this fact, that Jesus is Lord. Paul's wanting to remind them that despite these challenges, there are tremendous blessings. And that's what he says, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. If you thought that being a Christian was going to mean that your bank account was going to suddenly explode with more money, You were going to get a better house and end up staying down the policies. You were going to get promotion at that work and get a nice big office and a plush chair and be able to tell everybody else what to do. And then you sit and drink coffee most of the day or whatever. If you thought that's what Christianity was about, then you're wrong. The blessings are there, but they're spiritual blessings. The reality is there, but it's not primarily of this world. It's of the heavenly realm goes on to open up and that's what we're going to do very briefly open up what those blessings are to be part of God's holy people those who are faithful in Christ his called outwards his ecclesia his church in the world and Paul first of all tells us that we're chosen in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight I remember speaking to someone within a church setting, someone who had been adopted when they were very young by their mum and dad, by adoptive parents. But when they came to an age who began to reflect and think in things and be more aware of things, they actually went through a period in life where they really tottered on the brink of complete depression and actually a collapse of who they were because they began to consider, what did it mean? I mean, what kind of mum did I have, a birth mother, that she gave me up, she gave me away? And as far as my father, well, what kind of dad is this that had his fun, let's be honest, and then walked away and showed no interest in the consequences and didn't seem to be bothered. Therefore, I'm of no worth. I have no value. I'm an accident that should never have happened. And all the things that have happened, and of course, other things had come along that had been difficult in life. All of these things are a consequence of the fact that. But interesting enough, as that person came to faith, and as that person began to explore what Paul was saying here, that person also came to a fresh understanding of the wonder and privilege of being adopted. His mum, or her mum, I not seen who it was actually chose this person this baby and actually no no disrespect but the rest of us who have had kids well we just get we get what we get don't we (laughs) good bad or indifferent but you know what I mean they actually chose this child they didn't need to they were you know they had their own life But not only this in this setting they chose that person and brought them into their family they actually had their own children and yet brought this child this young baby or toddler into the family and made that person that thing that bundle of flesh their own child gave this person their name there's the, the the children in the family recognized and welcomed the child, it wasn't without challenges, we know that, but as a brother-sister. They became an heir of the parents' circumstances and financial security and everything else that goes with it. And as that person grew in their understanding of just how wonderful, actually, mum and dad really were, this person fell in love afresh with her, his adopted parents. And her, his family. And as they did so, then these verses in Ephesians, which could be read and thought, what's all that about? Suddenly became a wonderful release. God in Christ predestined me for adoption into his family in accordance with his pleasure and will. Not because God had to, not because God was paid to, not because God in a sense was not God unless he had us or brought us into his family, but out of who he is, his abundant mercy and love and grace freely calls us and chooses us Even before we were born, before the creation of the world, we're told, to be his child. Now, of course, there's a challenge to that. The doctrine of predestination isn't one I'm sure that all of us feel comfortable with. I would want to affirm that it is true that God has a people. That when Christ Jesus gave his life on the cross, he bought that people. He paid a price for that people. And if you're in Christ this morning. It's not because primarily. To do with your upbringing. Or to do with who you are. Or what you've done. There is a response. And we'll touch upon that shortly. But nonetheless it's supremely. Because God graciously quickened you. Called you. Chose you. And converted you. By his that's meant not to cause us to be cocky. It's actually meant to cause us to be filled with humility and awe. We're adopted into His family. He predestines us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will. And that means that our brothers and sisters in Christ are our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's interesting, some of us who perhaps don't have any families of our own, but who are within the life of, for instance, this congregation or other congregations will often say that really the church family means everything because we don't have human family. And therefore, our relationships, our connections, the things we share. Yes, one another gathered here this morning. We are bound together within that family. It challenges us, those those of us who perhaps don't really want to think like that. Those of us who are individualistic. Those of us who like to think that, well, well okay, I put up with them. But really, you know, that's a challenge. Because in God's family, we don't put up with people. We rejoice in them. The same way as that person celebrated the fact that he he or she now had brothers and sisters and they were brought together and she was treated as a brother in that family. So we rejoice in that. That lays responsibilities upon us and we'll think about that next week. But it's also a tremendous blessing. You're never alone in the family of God. And if we don't allow ourselves to be open to one another and share with one another, then actually we're grieving the Spirit and denying what it is to be adopted into God's family. It's a blessing, it's a wonder, it's a privilege, and it should fill us with a very real sense of awe. And so, what is the church? Well, it's made up of those who are chosen by God before the world's creation, whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, which at the last, on the day of Christ's return, that book will be open in heaven, and our names will be called out. We're adopted into a family, and that's a privilege and a blessing, not a hassle and a problem, and certainly shouldn't be. We're human, sometimes it is, but it shouldn't be. And then what else? He goes on to expand on that. He says in verse 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth and under the earth." If you have ever visited any of the great Roman cities or the cities of the Roman Empire and you've walked down their streets, Corinth or Philippi or Ephesus or elsewhere, then you'll often will have seen, it, as did the cases when you drive into Uddingston, in <laughs> the days past, the large houses, Brooklands, you know, and the big houses as you come into Uddingston, you'll see the big houses of the wealthy people, of the merchant classes of their day, and they were set out to impress people as they entered into a town. But we might also be aware, of course, that much of the empire ran because of the slave markets, and the way in which people were used and sadly abused often to further other people, a relatively small number of people's wealth and prosperity. But sometimes, indeed more often than perhaps we give credit, some of those slaves brought in, bought at a slave market, and if you go again to any of these Roman cities, you would see the places where they were traded, often people from victims of the conquest of Rome, and and seized and dragged off men, women, and children. But often when they were brought into a family, into a business, into a home, and they lived there, sometimes in terrible circumstances, sometimes not, but there were cases, and more often, as I say, than perhaps people give credit, where actually the slave became a son or daughter. To be fair, in the Roman concept, it was usually the son, but nonetheless, they became part of the family. Why? Well, it's because the master of the business, the master of the house, began to recognize that this person who had been brought in to do the donkey work, whether it was the donkey work in the business or the donkey work at house, keeping the house running or whatever, actually was a great value. Interesting enough, the story of Joseph in the Old Testament, brought into Potiphar's house in Egypt is an illustration of that. And that person became of great value and worth. And the owner of that person, because that person was still a slave owned by a master, the owner of that slave began to value that person, not just as a piece of meat or somebody who could do things, but actually as a human being. And so there were occasions, maybe more often than perhaps we think, when actually that person would no longer be a slave, but would be brought into the family. But in order for that to happen, redemption money had to be paid in a sense it's a bit like getting a car and a lease you know you pay every month and you've got the use of the car but at the end of the day that car still ultimately is owned by the garage and at the end of the three years or whatever it is you either have to give the car back or you have to pay a bit of money in order to have it for yourself well in a sense not completely not legally in the, in the way that perhaps we understand it but there was a sense in which these slaves were in long-term lease and so if they were to be really you. And to be set free, and this is the point, to be set free from that social stigma and mark, and of course, literally, they would have been branded as slaves. To be set free from the impact of that, redemption money had to be paid. But once that money was paid, that person could be adopted into the family. That person could become a member of the family. They became a heir of that family's business. They were often done because actually often those who did that found their own families. They didn't have children of their own or their own children, frankly, were wasters. <laughs> and the slave was actually the person who actually had the brains and the wherewithal to actually make a go of the thing. And so they would become perhaps the owner of the business eventually. And they would also become, within the Roman context, a citizen with all the rights and privileges that brought. Again, in the book of Acts, you'll remember there was a situation where Paul was about to be stoned and, and, and really killed. And he cried out, well, I'm a Roman citizen. And the book of Acts tells us but you jumped right back. Because as a citizen of Rome, you had a special status. You had access to the imperium set in the Roman cap- in the city of Rome, the, the capital of the empire. You had access to appeal to Caesar and to have the protections and the benefits that being a Roman citizen brought. And that's the language behind what Paul is saying here. How are we? And later on in Ephesians, and again, many of us will know that. He makes it clear. He says in Ephesians 2 and verse 1, As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the rule of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us within him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in christ jesus for it's great by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves it's the gift of god not by works so that no one can boast you can imagine the owner of the business rejoicing and as i say there are recorded in Roman manuscripts, these events, where the owner of the business rejoiced in the fact, in fact, they would take his you son and bring him out to the public forum and say, this man was once a slave. He still bears on the marks of his body the fact that he was a slave, but I have bought him. I have redeemed him, he is mine, he is my heir, and you are to regard him as you regard me, and he is a citizen of the greatest empire the world has ever seen. Well, my friends, because of God's grace in Jesus Christ, that is your status in Christ. You may be of humble background, you may not be the most wonderful, blessed intellect in the world, or you might think you are. At the end of the day, That doesn't matter. For by nature, we're slaves to the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. But as Paul tells us here, we have been redeemed through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. And not only that, with all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. God in Christ gives us access to understand the world, the universe, who you are, why you're here, and what it's all about. Now, let's be honest, if that's not enough for us to digest on a Sunday morning at 25 to 12, what is? And you don't need to go to university. In fact, some of the people who have greatest understanding of these spiritual things have never darkened the hall of a university. I was taught by some of you. He and I were taught by people who were very clever, but didn't have a clue. But God can open your mind to see things that no one else can see who is without the spirit, who's without the spirit of Christ. They are blind, but I see. They are lost, but you have been found. They are dead, but in Christ you can be alive. And that is the blessing and the privilege that God in Jesus Christ offers to humanity and to us. To be a free man or a free woman. And how sad it is when people who profess to be Christians, even by their face and appearance, show that they're still under bondage of sin. For if you're free in Christ, you're free indeed. And it's the blood of Jesus. That's made that possible. That's why the gospel, the good use of Jesus, has to be at the very heart of the life of the church. I, I was in Tesco the other day, and of course, one of the consequences of the COVID situation was we've all become, or at least many of us, have become far more used to using our card rather than cash. Indeed, as I tell the story, I could tell the story of Elizabeth, who went into tunnocks the other day desperately panting for one of their fruit pies. <laughs> and you actually had put it in a box or a paper pie, can not you? And then guess what? She didn't have a card. So she couldn't get it. And it had to be put back on the shelf. So if anyone feels inclined tomorrow morning, or it's up tomorrow, Tuesday to go up and buy some an apple pie, you're welcome. But just remember to take your card. Because it's the only way in which you can access. And that happened to me the other day. I was in Tesco and there was a problem with the machine. And I didn't have any cash with me either. And I just bought £40 worth or £35 worth of messages. And I thought, what a brass snake folk. The church will say, see that minister can't even afford his messages. You know, he's having to put them back in the shelf. you know. Because this card, isn't it? It's a bit concerning. There's issues about that. This card accesses our funds. And without it, you don't get an apple pie. Well, Paul tells us what can access and enable us to access the limitless funds, the spiritual blessings, the heavenly realms that God has blessed us with. What enables us to access these blessings? Well, he tells us, verse 11. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Paul saying, God wants people. He desires, he loves this world. He has paid a price for his people. He's the God who called a nobody and an entity, Abraham, from nowhere, many ways, and made of him the father of many nations, the father of a large nation, and the father of many nations, because those who, like Abraham, put their faith in God are children of God's family, children of the covenant, children who are in God's people. That's the kind of God we have. He calls people. But we have to respond. There's a bank of mercy and grace. But we need to access it. How do we do it? Well Paul tells us we do it when we not only hear the message of truth. The gospel of our salvation. But we believe in him. We put our hope, Paul tells in verse 12, in Christ. And I would urge you this morning if there's anyone here or anyone listening to this. And you would call yourself a Christian. And yes, mentally you would have a a head knowledge about some of the things we've been talking about this morning. But you have never come to that point where you have not just believed with a mental assent, but in the way that Jesus speaks about, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. And here, Jesus quite deliberately uses the intimate word of how a man would know a woman you know what I mean by that and he's saying unless you really enter into that unless you really open your life to that surrender to that if you think you can bargain your way into the kingdom you're the one who's going to lose your last bet It's hell that awaits you not heaven So know the truth. Allow the Spirit of Jesus to take that truth and to release it into your life. To fill you with the knowledge of the glory of God revealed in Jesus Christ. It's the Spirit of God who does that. And again, the language here is of the legal documents, the legal document that would be signed if a person was redeemed. And not many of us now, but some of us may remember, I still have on my desk, sealing wax. I don't mean sealing it for a parcel. You actually used it and you, you had a blob of it and then you would never have, businesses would have a stamp and you would stamp it into the sealing wax. Legal documents would be sealed with that. But they still, I don't know, I don't know, are they? I don't know. Anyway, you can tell me afterwards if they are. I'll have to update my illustrations for the 21st century. Anyway, and it's stamped and sealed. And that that seal, it's not just a bit of wax. The stamp on that seal means that it's legal. It's effective. It's true. It will do what it says in the bit of paper. Well, my friends, the Holy Spirit does that. He takes that and makes it real, makes it true, and makes it effective in the life of the person who believes. But if we've grieved the Holy Spirit, If we say, for instance, I really don't fancy these other people, these people, that's why communion, you know, it tells us we must be very careful to take bride and go in communion. If we carry sin in our heart a resentful spirit towards another believer, we better not take it because we're grieving the Spirit of God. And judgment will follow. But if we are in the Spirit of God, it's the access to the heavenly realms where God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Now, of course, and that must be a sign, I was talking to somebody the other day in the congregation, it must be a sign, I'm definitely getting old. I remember my, my dear mum used to say, I'm glad I'm going out of the world, not into it. And she was only in her 60s, but now I relate to it, because I'm in my 60s, and I find myself thinking the same sometimes. And the glory and the hope of heaven. I know for many of us older saints, we can't wait to get to be there. <laughs> Not because we are wonderful, but we long to see Jesus. And to know the fullness of him who dwells, as Paul tells us here, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And simply to be wowed by the majesty of God revealed in Jesus Christ. And that Someone like me, a sinner, a slave, lost, forlorn, should have been redeemed and adopted and called and chosen into his family. Our hearts surely should be filled with wonder, lost in wonder, love, and praise. So I say to my own soul, as much as anyone else, next time I moan about the church, I need to remember the blessing of what it is to be a part of the church of God, the greatest movement and organization and institution, if you want to use that word, that the world or the universe has ever seen is the church of God. And I trust this morning, we know